West Legal Ed Center would like to welcome you to the effect of the general data protection regulation on discovery. To send a question to the speaker, type in the box below the participation tab. Program materials can be found under your supplements tab. It is my pleasure to introduce our speaker, Amanda Finley of CQOR Law. I'll turn the floor over to Amanda for further introductions. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, my name is Amanda Finley. I'm an attorney at Secor Law in Miami, Florida. I focus my practice primarily on commercial litigation with an international component, asset recovery in large fraud cases, and international insolvency cases. Today, I'm going to address the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, or the GDPR. I'm going to discuss five primary topics. First, the general principles and requirements under the GDPR. Second, the litigation exemption argument. Third, consequences for noncompliance with the GDPR. Fourth, the effect of the GDPR and other privacy laws on US discovery based on the relevant case law. And finally, how to potentially consensually resolve GDPR objections to discovery and other practical solutions. To begin with, the GDPR was adopted on April 14, 2016, and became effective May 25, 2018. The GDPR enforces privacy requirements to protect EU citizens. The GDPR applies to the processing of personal data, which is defined as any information related to an identified or identifiable natural person who can be directly or indirectly identified by the data produced. The regulation does not apply to the processing of data by a person for a purely personal or a household activity. So it targets is, and is applicable for data in connection with a corporate, professional or commercial activity. The GDPR has 11 chapters concerning general provisions, principles, rights of the data subject, duties of the data controllers or processors, transfers of personal data to third countries, and intent, uh, international organizations, independent supervisory authorities, cooperation and consistency among member states, remedies, liability and penalties for breach of rights, provisions related to specific processing situations, delegated acts and implementing acts, and final provisions. Another important component of the GDPR for today's discussion is that it specifically states that it has an extraterritorial effect by applying regardless of whether the processing takes place in the EU or elsewhere. Article 48 states, any judgment of a court or tribunal and any decision of an administrative authority of a third country requiring a controller or processor to transfer or disclose personal data may only be recognized or enforceable in any manner if based on an international agreement, such as a mutual legal assistance treaty, enforced between or requesting third country and the union or member state without prejudice to other grounds for transfer pursuant to this chapter. This is also very relevant for today's discussion because it implicates cross-border data transfer and processing that may be required in discovery. The regulation does not purport to apply to the processing of personal data for the EU's national security or law enforcement activities. However, there are concerns about a potential conflict of laws regarding Article 48 being invoked to seek or prevent a data controller 
subject to the third country's laws from complying with a legal order from that country's judicial or other authorities to disclose such authorities, um, the EU personal data, regardless of whether the data resides in or out of the EU. To be able to demonstrate compliance with the GDPR, the data controller must implement measures that meet the principles of data protection by design and by default. Article 25 requires data protection measures to be designed into the business process development. Such me measures include pseudonymizing personal data. It is the responsibility of the data controller subject to great liability to implement effective measures and to show the processing activity compliance. Data subjects are entitled to be clearly informed about the extent of data collection, the legal basis for the personal data processing, data retention length, transferability of the data to a third party, including outside of the EU, and automated decision-making if it is based on an algorithmic basis. Data subjects must be informed of their privacy rights, including the right to revoke consent, to view their data, and an overview of processing to obtain a copy of the data, to erasure of their data under some circumstances, the right to contest any automated algorithmic decision-making, and the right to file complaints with the Data Protection Authority, which means they must be given the contact information to that Data Protection Authority. Under Article 35, data protection impact assessments must be conducted when specific risks occur as to these rights and freedoms. Risk assessment and mitigation is required and prior approval of the data protection authorities is required for high risk. Article six is very important in the GDPR. It addresses the lawfulness of the processing. Processing shall be lawful only if at least one of the following applies. One, the data is subject to consent from the person, and this must be expressed consent, and it is subject to withdraw at any time. Two, Processing is necessary for performance of a contract to which the data subject is a party. Three, processing is necessary for compliance with the controller's legal obligations. This is important for our discussion today. Four, processing is necessary in order to protect the vital interests of the data subject or of another person. Five, processing is necessary for the performance of a task carried out in the public interest or in the exercise of an official authority vested in the controller. And six, processing is necessary for the purpose of legitimate interest pursued by the controller or by a third party, except where such interests are overridden by the interests of, the interests of or fundamental rights or freedoms of the data subject, which require protection of, a personal, of their personal data. And that particularly applies to children. This leads into the second topic for today regarding the GDPR litigation exemption argument that parties may raise to overcome a GDPR objection to discovery. The third basis that we just discussed under Article 6 for lawful data processing states that it's lawful for the controller to process data, quote, in compliance with the controller's legal obligation. That may, at first blush, appear to quell the tension between U.S. discovery that we're discussing today and the GDPR. However, the European Data Protection Board has confirmed that a U.S. court order is not itself a legal basis for a transfer of personal data to the U.S. That's the EDPB Guidelines 2-2018 on derogations of Article 49 at page 5. 
So ultimately, a U.S. court order does not suffice as a legal obligation under the GDPR. That has not and likely will not prevent parties from raising the litigation exemption argument. However, it also will likely not prevent regulators from finding a GDPR violation under those circumstances. Gary Weingarten and Matthias Arts in their January 26, 2021 IAAP article, Stuck in the Middle with You, When U.S. Discovery Orders Hit GDPR, raise a better argument for litigation exemption stemming from Article 49, Subsection 1E, which states, a data transfer to a third country is permitted if the transfer is necessary for the establishment, exercise, or defense of legal claims. Recital 111 of the GDPR states that a transfer can be made where there is occasional and necessary in relation to a contract or legal claim, regardless of whether in a judicial procedure or whether in administrative or out-of-court procedure, including procedures before regulatory bodies. So this covers a wide range of activities and includes the context of pretrial discovery and civil litigation. There are three issues that exist regarding this argument. First is which party's legal claim or defense is at issue for the argument to apply. In the U.S. litigation context, many times there are numerous parties. There's the plaintiffs, defendants, co-plaintiffs, um, many parties. However, litigation also may impact non-parties, including subpoena targets and Ducas Tecum witnesses. So the next concern would be Article 49 subsection 1E of the GDPR permits data transfer, but not other processing. So typically in discovery, other processing is required, not just the transfer. There's no similar method for processing other than transfer. So this may not be helpful for the non-parties regarding responding to subpoenas and discovery requests. Also the rights uh, under article 15 through 21 of the GDPR could be implicated. Due to litigation hold issues, the party seeking discovery cannot acquiesce to a request for erasure or rectification of the data. Similarly, if a protective order is in place, the party may need to deny access or portability requests. So these affect the rights that are fundamental in the GDPR. For sharing the in-scope data, a party must identify the Article 6 justification. This can include consent, but again, consent has to be expressed. It can also include a legitimate interest. The third issue regarding the litigation exemption argument is that transfer to the U.S. must be necessary. That's the test that has to be applied. So even if it's relevant to a claim or defense, that's not sufficient. It also has to be necessary, which could be a high bar to demonstrate in litigation. To give an overview of general planning for the GDPR when it came into effect, According to the third biennial Ernst and Young 2018 Global Forensic Data Analytics Survey, only 33% of companies had established a plan for GDPR compliance, with another 39% signifying they were unfamiliar with the GDPR. 60% of Europeans reported as having a GDPR compliance plan in place, while the numbers dropped significantly to 27% for Africa and the Middle East, 13% for the Americas, and 12% for the Asia Pacific area. So these numbers indicated grave deficiencies, um, which links into our next topic, which is the penalties, fines, and consequences under the GDPR. So for the third topic today, the GDPR allows significant penalties and sanctions. 
Regulators may issue a warning or impose a temporary or definitive ban on processing personal data or impose large fines or both. The fines imposed under Article 83 are flexible and the financial exposure scales based on the type of violation um, can have a, a range. So regardless of the size, the GDPR imposes great liability on noncompliance. There are two tiers of fines generally. The GDPR expressly states that some violations may be more severe. So for the less severe infringements, the fine could be up to 10 million euros or 2% of the firm's worldwide annual revenue, whichever is higher. And those include violations for articles governing controllers and processors, uh, which is articles 8, 11, 25 through 39, 42, and 43, certification of bodies, which is articles 42 and 43, and monitoring bodies, which is Article 41. For the more severe and serious infringements that go against the very principles of right to privacy, fundamental right to be forgotten or erasure, and the central goals of the GDPR, the infringements could result in staggering fines up to 20 million euros or 4% of the firm's worldwide annual revenue, whichever is higher. So those include violations related to the basic, basic principles for processing, Articles 5, 6, and 9. Um, again, data processing has to be lawful in, a, in adherence with Article 6, fair, transparent, collected and processed for purpose, accurately kept and securely processed. Um, those can also be based on violations relating to the conditions for consent, which is Article 7, the data subject's rights, Articles 12 through 22, the transfer of data to an international organization or a recipient in a third country, that's Articles 44 through 49. It could also be based on um, Article, um, it could be based on the violation of the member states' laws under Chapter 9. So essentially, the GDPR grants EU member states the ability to pass data protection laws in accordance with the GDPR and allows similar fines for violating those laws. Non-compliance um, with an order by a supervisory authority is also a basis for these higher sanctions. This overview only relates to administrative fines. It's important to note that the GDPR provides an individual with access to the courts to seek a judicial remedy uh, in addition to the administrative remedy. That's in Article 82, which gives data subjects the right to seek compensation from any organization that causes them damage based on a GDPR infringement. So it provides a, a private right of action. There are 10 criteria to determine whether the fine will be assessed in the amount. So the fines can be based on the gravity and nature of the violation, the data category, history, intent, precautionary measures, mitigation efforts, notice to the affected parties, which is required, cooperation, certification, as well as aggravating or mitigating factors. To give you an idea of the actual enforcement of the GDPR, which is very important for today's discussion, between January 26, 2020 and January 27, 2021, GDPR fines rose by nearly 40%. Penalties under the GDPR totaled 158.5 million euros or $191.5 million. The Data Protection Authorities recorded 121,165 data breaches um, based on the notifications, which was up 19%. I'll give you an example of the 10 largest GDPR fines of 2020 and 2021. Uh, number one was Google. Google was fined 50 million euros 
which was a fine from 2019, but Google appealed. And in March 2020, a court in France dismissed the appeal and affirmed the penalty. This fine was imposed because Google should have provided more information to users in consent policies and granted more control over how their personal data was processed. Number two, H&M was fined 35 million euros on October 5th, 2020, by the Data Protection Authority of Hamburg, Germany, because H&M monitored several hundred employees. So after employees took vacation or sick leave, they were required to attend a return to work meeting. And some of those meetings were recorded and accessible to over 50 H&M managers. Then they were used to make a detailed profile about the employee and then used to evaluate the employee's performance and inform employment decisions. So that caused the substantial fine. Number three, TIM, an Italian te telecommunications operator, was fined 27.8 million euros on January 15, 2020, by the Italian Data Protection Authority for a series of infractions and violations that accumulated over several years, and most of them based on overly aggressive marketing strategies. Number four, British Airways was fined 22 million euros in October 2020 by the ICO for a data breach in 2018. So while that was large, it was also considerably less than the $238 million fine that the ICO originally intended to issue in 2019. This was based on a data breach that affected 400,000 customers and allowed the hackers to obtain customer details regarding payment credit card info, personal information like travelers' names and addresses, and login details. Number five, Marriott was fined 20.4 million dollars, or I'm sorry, 24, 20.4 million euros, which is 23.8 million dollars. And while that was steep, it also was significantly lower than the 123 million dollar fine that the ICO originally sought to impose based on 383 million guest records being exposed. That included 30 million EU residents. And based on the data breach, this caused personal information like the guest names, addresses, passport numbers, and payment information to be leaked. Number six, WIND was fined 17 million euros on July 13th by the Italian Data Protection Authority. And this was based on unlawful direct marketing activities, um, essentially spamming Italians with ads without their consent, providing incorrect contact details, and leaving consumers unable to unsus unsubscribe to that. Number seven, the notebooks Billinger.de, which is a German electronics retailer, they were fined $10.4 million on January 8th, 2021, based on their use of CCTV cameras monitoring employees and customers. So the CCTV system ran for about two years, and they were recording employees and customers, and it was used to prevent theft, the company says, and it was kept for up to 60 days. So they're appealing that fine now, and the regulators say that it, it was not designed to be limited to a specific person or period. So while using CCTV isn't prohibited under the GDPR, you have to ensure that it's a legitimate and proportional response to a specific problem. So we'll see how the, the appeal goes for that. Number eight, Vodafone Spain was fined 8.15 million euros uh, by the Spanish DPA on March 11, 2021, based on 191 separate complaints regarding marketing activities that allegedly did not have sufficient organizational measures to ensure lawful processing. Number nine, Google was assessed another fine for 7 million euros in March 2020 by the Swedish Data 
Protection Authority for neglecting to remove a pair of search results um, that it was ordered to remove in 2017. And finally, last but not least, Kasha Bank was fined 6 million euros by the Spanish DPA on January 13, 2021, relating to how it established a legal basis for consumers' personal data under Article 6 and for violating the transparency requirements under Articles 13 and 14. So these are hefty fines and show that the regulators are actually enforcing the GDPR. This is very important for our discussion today and how U.S. courts view uh, the enforcement of the GDPR and its effect on discovery rulings in U.S. discovery litigation. So it shows that the companies are being sanctioned more now, but they're also appealing more. Um, there was a March 15, 2021 Wall Street, Wall Street Journal article entitled Wave of Legal Appeals Challenges, How Regulators uh, European regulators enforce privacy rules, with the subtitle being companies are filing more appeals of privacy fines and winning in court. So it details that European courts have struck down or reduced several multi-million dollar fines in recent months, raising questions about whether judges and privacy regulators disagree about how to enforce the GDPR, and that companies are taking note um, about these challenges and they're more willing to challenge these rulings now. So the article states that the number of appeals has picked up over the last six months and that the companies, um, certain companies have filed 15 appeals regarding um, GDPR decisions and that many of them were overturned or, or partially struck down with additional six cases that are pending court decisions. So one specific example that was cited was a Berlin court last month um, or the month before that article overturning the city's privacy regulators uh, fine of 14.5 million euros against a German property company because the regulator didn't identify an individual employee who was responsible for the violation in his decision. So that's a new uh, part of the rule that is being imposed in saying that you have to have an individual employee that's responsible. There was a similar ruling by an Austrian court overturning an 18 million euro fine for a postal service provider, um, again, because it didn't identify a specific person that was responsible for the violation. So it's going to be interesting to see how these new appeals work out, um, especially based on the new rule that an individual employee or person must be responsible for that. So ultimately, the enforcement and the associated administrative fines are a very important component of how the GDPR is viewed in the context of U.S. discovery, because it demonstrates that the law is not just for show. This law is actually being applied and enforced. The prior iterations of this kind of law, the blocking statutes that various countries imposed to hinder U.S. discovery, were not actually enforced except to try to block U.S. discovery, um, which led to some of the historical case law um, relating to privacy statutes and secrecy statutes. So this caused U.S. courts to not go along with the desired result of wanting those laws, uh, in part because they were not actually enforced against the violators, and they were only used when citizens of the applicable countries wanted to try and get out of complying with U.S. discovery orders. So a different analysis could apply to GDPR because it's actually enforced and the fines are real and they're substantial. So for everybody in New York that is listening to the CLE, please listen closely now so you get your CLE credit. I'm going to read the portion that we need to read for you. In order to comply with New York regulations, attorneys looking for CLE credit in New York will need to be able to provide a code. This code is not intended for West Legal Ed Center audience, either live or on demand. I will read this code twice and only twice and cannot repeat it or email it to you. So please make note of it. 
The New York state code number is S as in Sam, A as in Amanda, 31158-82521. Again, the New York state code is S as in Sam, A as in Amanda, 31158-82521. Okay, now that you have a background um, in history for the key details underlying the GDPR, we can move on to the fourth topic of how this regulation affects discovery in the United States. The early cases in the United States suggest that the GDPR may have a profound impact on discovery in the United States. The GDPR may provide targets subject to the jurisdiction of the courts in the United States to object to discovery with the purpose, or potentially under the guise, of protecting EU citizens' privacy. Defendants may object to production as a whole, request significant redactions of the discovery, request a strict confidentiality agreement or protective order, request to produce anonymized da data based on um, the GDPR that does not identify any EU citizens or any combination of these options. There's limited case law on the implications of the GDPR in the United States discovery thus far because it was only effective as of 2018. So far, United States courts have taken divergent approaches on how to address and resolve objections to discovery based on GDPR. But overall, it appears that most courts are allowing production of the discovery in some form over the defendant's GDPR objection. Historically, United States courts have been unwilling to allow foreign privacy statutes to preclude the production of responsive documents that were otherwise discoverable in the United States. So as the Supreme Court stated in Societe Nationale Industrial Aerospecial versus U.S. District Court of Southern District of Iowa, it, the Supreme Court was quoted as stating, it is well settled that the statutes do not deprive an American court of the power to order a party subject to its jurisdiction to produce evidence even though the act of production may violate that statute. And it's discussing the privacy statute. The Supreme Court set forth factors to consider on this issue, including one, the importance of litigation of the, um, the importance to the litigation of the documents or other requested information. Two, the degree or specificity of the request. Three, whether the information originated in the United States. Four, the availability of alternative means of securing the information, and five, the extent to which noncompliance with the request would undermine important interests of the United States or compliance with the request would undermine the important interests of the state where the information is located. The Supreme Court further noted that the French blocking statute was originally inspired to impede enforcement of the United States antitrust laws and that it did not appear to be strictly enforced in France which further undercut the United States court's interest in enforcing the privacy statute over the American interest of full disclosure and discovery. That's what we were discussing before, that the GDPR could be viewed differently based on the fact that it is actually being enforced and substantially enforced with very large fines. The Supreme Court cited, um, and there are also, besides the citations in that case, there are numerous examples of courts taking this position on foreign blocking statutes. That's including Leyden versus Mizuho Bank, where the court refused to enforce the predecessor UK privacy law, in which there was no evidence of enforcement of the law in the United Kingdom. Arthur Anderson and Co. versus Feinsilver, 
the Tenth Circuit found that the district court did not usurp its power in entering discovery orders, which required the accounting firm to produce certain documents, even though production of the documents would allegedly violate non-disclosure laws of Switzerland. It's also found in numerous other cases, such as Graco versus Kremlin Incorporated, First American Corp versus Pricewaterhouse LLP, that's a Second Circuit case, Bosner versus Bank Paribas, Eastern District of New York, Strauss versus Credit Lyonnais, SA, Eastern District of New York, Inray Air Crash uh, at Tepe, Taiwan, that's California, and numerous, numerous other cases. So there are other examples, but this gives you a broad example of the courts applying this rationale to foreign blocking statutes. Prior and subsequent courts similarly ruled that foreign privacy statutes are not dispositive on production of discovery in the United States cases. Although the statutes may be relevant to the issue of whether sanctions should be imposed for failure to comply with U.S. discovery orders. Likewise, U.S. courts deemed foreign bank secrecy laws insufficient to preclude, preclude discovery in U.S. litigation. And that's found in Strouch versus Computer Sciences Corp. Um, that's the District Court of Connecticut and Waltz versus Bank of China Limited, Southern District of New York. Therefore, generally courts in the United States overwhelmingly have held that full disclosure in discovery outweighs any interest in enforcing foreign privacy or secrecy laws. Now, again, comparing this case law to the GDPR, it's not a perfect fit because unlike the blocking statutes that had little force and effect in the country of origin, the GDPR is enforced and strictly enforced. So now we can go through a review of the United States court's approaches to GDPR discovery disputes and other foreign privacy statutes. So, on October 5th, 2018, the first published ruling on the GDPR in the United States litigation um, was issued and it involved Microsoft as a defendant raising GDPR objection to discovery based on undue burden and the cost of producing the discovery due to the quote, alleged tension with the GDPR. And that's found in Coral Software LLC versus Microsoft Corp. It's a district court in Utah. The court did not significantly analyze the GDPR issue, but stated that the court was not persuaded by Microsoft's arguments concerning undue burden and required the production of the documents. On December 17, 2018, the first substantive ruling by a United States court to address an objection to discovery based on GDPR was in the context of a 28 USC section 1782 application to obtain discovery for use in a foreign proceeding. That's Inray Hans Invest, Hans Adish Investment. That's the Southern District of New York case. The Southern District of New York granted the application with respect to documents held by foreign custodians only to the extent that the applicants, one, assume the cost of document production, including the cost of compliance with the GDPR or other applicable European data privacy laws, and two, indemnify the respondents against any potential breaches of the European data, data privacy laws. Although the court granted production of the documents over the GDPR objection, this ruling has serious adverse consequences for parties seeking discovery in the United States litigation in the GDP, if the GDPR is implicated because it required unknown and potentially multi-million dollar indemnification liability on the party seeking the documents. So that was 
that was a very uh, significant ruling to require indemnification. On November 2nd, 2020, the District Court of Massachusetts adopted a similar approach uh, in a, a Section 1782 action, NRA application of Valicus LTD. The court required the parties to submit a proposed order um, regarding discovery that detailed their compliance with the GDPR and an agreed upon procedure regarding cost and indemnification in the event of non-compliance. On May 25th, 2021, the Southern District of New York took the same approach again in another 1782 action by requiring the party seeking discovery to indemnify, quote, any liability resulting from fines for breach of the European privacy law. And that was in NRA Polygon Global Partners, LLP. Requiring indemnification of the discovery target against any potential breach uh, of the GDPR is a serious deterrent to any party seeking discovery. It would be highly unusual and highly unlikely that any party would knowingly accept an open-ended and potentially large financial risk given the huge fines for GDPR violations that we discussed earlier. If courts routinely adopted this approach, it could have a significant chilling effect on United States discovery when the GDPR is implicated. This seems to be a minority approach um, to the rule um, requiring indemnification uh, as a condition precedent to the production of documents as adopted by these three courts. Um, however, time will tell whether this minority approach will catch on. In later rulings, the United States courts have taken less, dra less drastic approaches to GDPR objections. Um, for example, on February 14, 2019, the Northern District of California in Fingen Inc. versus Scaler entered a reasoned opinion concluding that the GDPR did not preclude the court from ordering the defendant to produce the requested emails in unredacted form subject to the existing protective order and did not amend the existing protective order to include cost splitting related to anonymization as requested by the defendant. So this was the first really substantive and, and well-reasoned opinion regarding the GDPR in the United States after the effective date. So first, the court referenced the Supreme Court ruling that a foreign country statute precluding disclosure of evidence does not deprive an American court of the power to order the party subject to its jurisdiction to produce evidence, even though the act of production may violate the statute. Again, that was quoting the Supreme Court in Aristotle um, that we discussed earlier. The Fingen court discussed the factors that are considered in determining whether the foreign statute excuses noncompliance with the discovery order citing Richmark Corp versus Timber Falling Consultants, a Ninth Circuit case. And these factors that the court cited include, one, the importance of the documents or the other information requested to the litigation. Two, the degree of specificity of the request. Three, whether the information originated in the U.S. Four, the availability of securing um, of alternative means of securing the information, and five, the extent to which noncompliance would undermine the important interest of the United States. So again, they're going through the U.S. Supreme Court standard, and they found that other considerations could apply, but those are the main factors, and the other considerations would be the extent to which the nature of the hardship that is inconsistent with enforcement would, impose, um, would be imposed on that person, and the, the extent to which enforcement by action of either state can reasonably be expected to achieve compliance with the rules prescribed by the state. 
The court in Finjan stated that the balance of national interest is the most important factor and protecting privacy is diminished where the court has entered a protective order preventing disclosure of secret information. For that, they again cited the Richmark case and they supported that with Massimo Corp versus Mindre DS USA Inc which is a California circuit court case, as well as United States versus Vetco Inc, a Ninth Circuit case. So this, this was crucial to the analysis because facilitating the availability of discovery in US litigation should be a national interest, among others. Further, it is logical to not prohibit or limit the disclosure of relevant documents in United States litigation based on a foreign privacy statute when there's already a court order in the case that accomplishes the goal of protecting private data to be disclosed in discovery. Finally, the court in Finjan found that the party relying on foreign law has the burden of showing that such law bars production. So in that case, the defendant failed to put forth the evidence that there was a likelihood of enforcement. And this is important because it relates to prior case law regarding the French and other countries blocking statutes and other privacy statutes that we discussed earlier that were implemented to prevent U.S. discovery or enforcement of other U.S. laws such as antitrust and secrecy laws that were not even enforced in the country of origin. So as a practice point, a party objecting to U.S. discovery based on the GDPR should always offer evidence of the GDPR's enforcement and the likelihood that it could be enforced against that party and because that's necessary to carry their burden. And there's ample authority and examples of actual enforcement, such as the ones that we discussed earlier and the significant administrative fines that are imposed. So that's not difficult to obtain. And on the other hand, the party seeking the discovery should always raise if the opposing party fails to offer evidence of GDPR enforcement, and particularly in the context of fines imposed and the likelihood that it could be imposed against that party. So without that evidence, the objector should be deemed to have uh, failed to meet their burden. So the next case was uh, in the Strouch versus Computer Science Corporation, um, which, which opinion was entered on May 31st, 2019. The court entered a ruling on the uh, GDPR objection um, and it recounted that the appointed special master initially required a, quote, filtered approach to attempt to resolve the GDPR objection. Um, the plaintiffs wanted a more comprehensive approach and objected to the filtering because it left unanswered questions and potentially could lead to the omission of a class members who worked in the non-U.S. locations. The plaintiffs would not agree to the defendant's self-filtering response of discovery, which could be problematic by potentially reducing the amount of responsive information to which the plaintiffs were otherwise entitled. Later, after considering numerous proposals, the parties consensually resolved the issues by requiring the production of de-identified data that was subject to the GDPR. So that's one practical approach to being able to resolve this consensually, which we'll go over later. On November 7th, 2019, the special master in the Mercedes-Benz admissions litigation uh, entered a relevant ruling regarding GDPR um, issues. The court denied a motion to stay pending appeal regarding document production that the defendants alleged would violate the GDPR. The special master, master ruled that the document should be produced under a confidentiality order, which already protected the GDPR protected information. So the special master did not require redaction and there was no mention of cost splitting in that ruling. The special master stated, 
while the GDPR defines personal data broadly to include even seemingly innocuous information like business contacts and other related data about the business's employees and partners and customers, the sort of information and business records that parties routinely exchange as a part of discovery in U.S. litigation, defendants have not pointed to any prior enforcement actions by the EU focused on violations in the litigation context. Again, the defendants failed to meet their burden by not introducing evidence of enforcement actions relating to disclosure of GDPR information required to be disclosed in discovery. On January 30th, 2020, the court in the same case, the Mercedes-Benz emissions litigation case, overruled the objection to the defendant's appeals of the special master's opinion and affirmed the special master's GDPR ruling. The court stated, based on the court's own international comedy analysis, as well as an analysis, uh, an analysis of the special master's GDPR ruling, the court finds that the special master conducted a well-reasoned international comedy analysis and did not abuse his discretion in prohibiting parties from redacting the names, positions, titles, and professional contact information of relevant current or former employees of the defendant or third parties identified in relevant responses, documents, data, or information produced in discovery in the above captioned matter. So the court found that, quote, such information can be designed and protected as highly confidential pursuant to discovery confidentiality order provision, which balance the plaintiff's right to obtain the discovery and the EU citizen's right to privacy. The next case is from May 22nd, 2020, the court in Rollins Ranches LLC versus Watson. In that case, the court rejected the defendant's GDPR objection for two primary reasons. The court stated that first, it is well settled that foreign statutes do not provide or deprive an American court of the power to order a party subject to its jurisdiction to produce evidence, um, even if it violated that statute, again, hearkening back to the U.S. Supreme Court authority that is cited throughout these cases. Second, typically the party resisting the discovery bears the burden in these cases. In that case, the court found that the defendant had not carried her burden, although she argued without support that the Data Protection Act does apply to any contacts um, within the U.K. held on a U.K. mobile device, um, and that this was, quote, accepted by the judge in the Florida litigation, the court reviewed the Florida litigation docket and found that it did not reveal support for the defendant's position and no further information was provided by the defendant as to the applicability of the GDPR. So the defendant only provided the court with general reference to the uh, GDPR by submitting websites. And that of course was insufficient to carry the defendant's burden. The next case that we're going to discuss was on, in, the opinion was entered on August 31st, 2020. The court in Anywhere Commerce Inc. versus in, Ingenico Inc. And that's a district court in, the, Mass, in uh, the District of Massachusetts. It concluded that the GDPR did not deprive um, or did not constrain the court's authority to compel the production of discovery sought in the proceeding. It compelled the production of documents without redaction and without withholding personal data pursuant to the GDPR. Um, but it, of course, it was subject to a, a protective order. 
So the court found that while the GDPR may not bind this court or otherwise limit the scope of discovery it can order, the GDPR may be fairly construed as an objection by a foreign state over some of the discovery sought by the plaintiffs to the extent that the requested discovery impinges on the protections for residents of France or obligations on companies doing business in France as secured by the GDPR. To that end, comedy towards France may be implicated and the court is obligated to consider the factors set forth by the Supreme Court and any other considerations that may be relevant before compelling the discovery sought here. That was directly from the case. So the court conducted the comedy analysis and found it to favor production of documents while noting that the plaintiff's compelling argument that there was no conflict in foreign and domestic law because the GDPR has a litigation exemption provision therein, which we discussed earlier. So the court didn't necessarily 100% buy into the fact that there was no conflict between foreign and domestic law based on the litigation exemption provision that the plaintiffs tried to argue. However, it did note that there may not be a conflict, but still went ahead and did the comedy analysis anyway and found that based on the comedy analysis and the other factors um, that the Supreme Court stated that discovery should be produced over the GDPR objection. The next opinion was entered on September 3rd, 2020. It was in NRA Avandia Marketing Sales Practices and Product Liability Litigation in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania that was entering a ruling over a GDPR objection and determining that the defendant would, quote, not be subject to penalties under EU law because the GDPR was not even in effect during the relevant uh, period of the data inquiry. So essentially the data in question it predated the, the 2018 effective date, but the defendant still tried to argue that it should be applicable and should be a basis to uh, overcome the discovery in, issued by the plaintiff. So, of course, the court found that since it wasn't even effective at that time, it wasn't even relevant, they wouldn't be subject to any penalties in the EU, and that um, its limited, quote, secrecy interest uh, in the disputed requested redactions cannot overcome the strong presumption of access that applies in this case. Um, thus subscribing to the majority rule. The next case was um, on October 20th, 2020, the court in Tebra Brands LLC versus Bayer Healthcare LLC, that's the Northern District of California case, also adopted the majority position in response to a GDPR objection. Uh, without without much analysis, but just essentially adopting the majority position. The next case was on December 15th, 2020, the court in NRA Marriott International Customer Data Security Breach Litigation, that's in the District Court of Maryland. It addressed redactions to address the GDPR concerns. This was a private action brought based on the same circumstances that we discussed before that caused Marriott to be fined $23.8 million for the data breach and it discussed uh, potential redactions, which is another practical way to be able to potentially uh, consensually resolve these issues regarding discovery objections based on the GDPR. On May 24, 2021, the Court International Swimming League LTD versus Federation Nationale de, uh, Internationale de Nation, uh, that's the Northern District of California case, designated, um, which designated exhibits as confidential and sought to seal them in their entirety on the grounds that it was required by GDPR and Swiss law. 
so this wasn't opposed and the court did find good cause to seal the exhibits in connection with the discovery motions. However, the court specifically noted that the same result may not occur if used in connection with dispositive motions or trial. So it seems like it will be easier in connection with a discovery motion, a pure discovery motion to have the information sealed, but not necessarily in, in future stages of the case. Overall, with some outliers, the courts seem to take a balanced and practical view in resolving GDPR objections. As the case law develops, time will tell whether there will be further rulings regarding um, indemnification or otherwise limiting discovery that the parties are otherwise entitled to obtain in U.S. litigation. Additionally, over time, there will be more information on GDPR enforcement actions, and particularly whether there are enforcement actions based on information that was required to be produced in discovery, which could potentially affect future litigation um, on GDPR objections. So as to the last topic that we're going to address today, um, approaches for consensually resolving a GDPR a discovery objection and other practical solutions. So while there is still growing but limited case law on this issue, given that GDPR became effective in May 2018, it appears that most courts in the United States are not willing to allow GDPR objections to outweigh a party's right to obtain discovery that they're otherwise entitled to obtain. So this is consistent with the manner in which U.S. courts have historically addressed discovery objection based on foreign privacy and secrecy statutes, which we've already discussed. So this seems to be a sensible approach, given that there are other less rigid ways of handling the objections, rather than preventing or limiting the disclosure of information to the plaintiff that they need. So one option is redaction. So this approach is not ideal, particularly for the party seeking the information, because they should be able to review the data itself, uh, rather than relying on their opponent to filter the information. So the next option is anonymization of EU citizens' information. This seems to be a fair approach to allow discovery while preventing personal identifying information from disclosure in a manner that could compromise the privacy rights that the GDPR seeks to protect. The one downside with anonymization is that it can be expensive and there is a, you know, a debate as to who should have to bear that cost, whether cost splitting should be um, required or it should be on the party producing the discovery or otherwise. Um, however, that shouldn't be enough of a deterrent to outweigh a party's right to discovery in U.S. litigation. Additionally, indemnification of the person may be required for future discovery in U.S. or I, I'm sorry, identification of the person may be required for further discovery in U.S. litigation, depending on the relevant issues. So, for example, you can't have the data be anonymous if you need to identify that person as a potential future witness in the case or a potential subpoena target in the case. So if, if anonymization would prohibit further discovery, then that obviously would not work. Finally, requiring discovery to be subject to confidentiality order seems to be the most straightforward and ideal approach. It's the one that's already widely used. Parties are already used to entering into these confidentiality orders. It protects the information from disclosure, so it protects the privacy of EU citizens while still allowing the necessary and responsive discovery and not requiring the time and expense of redaction or anonymization. So this seems to be the best approach um, for handling this information and processing it in compliance with the GDPR. So Mr. Weingarten and Mr. Arts in their IAAP article 
give guidance and practical solutions for GDPR issues um, that were that were pretty um, interesting. So one was having a plan for responding to cross-border discovery. Obviously, this makes great sense. Uh, you have a plan for how to respond. You have a plan for your arguments regarding GDPR, um, and and that will help you be able to do this in compliance with GDPR, um, or to be able to you know overcome the hurdles that are entailed with a GDPR. Number two is reviewing the practical in-house approaches for cross-border discovery and data protection from the 2016 Sedona conference. So you can go to that article and read it. It's very informative and can give a lot of ideas on, on how to address these issues and how to deal with them in the context of cross-border discovery. Number three is not to procrastinate. Um, with compliance issues. You can establish a record for compliance in responding to discovery early and involve the required personnel and local counsel. Um, you can conduct a data protection impact assessment and determine what kinds of precautionary measures and safeguards are warranted for that case. Number four, you can discuss internally and with opposing counsel whether the use of the Hague Convention mechanism is possible and warranted. Uh, Article 48 of the GDPR permits cross-border transfers that are ordered by a court or administrative agency under an international agreement. So, of course, this entails other problems. The Hague Convention is a notoriously um, long process and can be somewhat difficult, uh, particularly regarding trying to obtain discovery through the Hague Convention. So that is going to be maybe a hurdle within itself. However, it would allow you to circumvent GDPR issues by taking that route. Number five is develop an explanation of how the GDPR applies, potential consequences and mitigation measures. So if you submit an affidavit or an expert report on this subject, it could help a GDPR objector in trying to carry his burden. So, for example, in the case that we discussed before, in which the defendant merely gave a citation to the website for GDPR to try and say that this act applies and therefore I shouldn't have to produce this discovery, that's not going to be sufficient. So, if you produce some sort of evidence to help you carry your burden on that, um, in addition to potentially explaining how you could be subject to real enforcement and real fines based on the GDPR, this would be what would allow you to carry your burden on this issue. Additionally, you could look for other possible alternative options. So as we've discussed, anonymizing the data, redaction, ordering inspection in the EU, that's something that we haven't discussed, but it's another option. So if, if you're not transferring the data to the United States based on discovery, then that's another way to not implicate the GDPR. So these can be built into discovery plans and orders um, with proper explanation and justification, but it, it will take a well-rounded approach to try and determine this. Of course, ordering inspection in the EU has its own problems. You have to then, you know, take the legal team there to, you know, review all of the discovery in a specific time. So it's, it's not as practical, but it's, it's another option. Number six is involve a supervisory authority for intervention if warranted. Um, so that's, that's another option for, for something that you can do. This is regarding, um, this may be a step too far in most cases, um, regarding potentially having somebody 
file an amicus brief or intervene in a case. This would be a very large case. It's very um, advanced in the process. And, and so that's a potential, um, but maybe not required in most cases. However, it's notable that consultation or notice may be required by Article 36, um, which is regarding prior consultation, and Article 33, which is notice of data breach or local law. So that's another option. Number seven was request the court require the party requesting the discovery to sign an agreement that includes a standard contractual clause for transfers between controllers. So again, one of the bases for lawful um, GDPR processing was based on a contract. So if you require them to sign a contract with a specific clause regarding this information, then that can be a way to overcome these issues. And as discussed earlier, a party responding to discovery may seek indemnity. So again, um, the party can seek indemnity regarding any fines that may be imposed based on the GDPR. This is very difficult for plaintiffs because for a plaintiff to knowingly accept a indemnity of potential, potential multi-million dollar awards based on this issue would be It'd be very difficult to find a plaintiff that could accept that uh, in order to obtain these documents. However, it's something that could be requested, and at least three courts thus far have ordered it. So another issue, somebody asked a question regarding uh, potential problems with the GDPR. So there was actually an, a report uh, from the American Enterprise Institute. It was in a statement before the Senate Judiciary Committee on General Data Protection Regulation and California Consumer Privacy Act, um, because California was actually one of the states to recently in, uh, impose legislation that was similar to the GDPR. Other countries have, um, have bought in and started uh, having these similar privacy laws to protect their citizens. California has been the only state thus far to go ahead and do that. So, uh, this report actually introduced some of the problems with the GDPR. Um, for example, it argues that the GDPR strengthens the, play, the largest players and therefore weakens the smaller and mid-sized players. Um, that could be a problem because if you're going to have strict compliance with this, um, it's usually going to be the largest organizations that are going to be able to adequately comply. So that could has somewhat of an antitrust issue and weaken the medium and small firm, uh, strengthen the larger ones. Another issue raised in that report was uh, it being cost prohibitive for many organizations to comply. That's definitely a concern. Um, the fact that as this report, uh, this report indicates that it could uh, hamper free speech and expression. Um, it also discusses uh, threatening innovation and research increasing cybersecurity risks and creating risk for identity theft and online fraud. Although that issue seems peculiar because it's generally supposed to be combating those issues. However, that's what this report suggests. Um, also for creating greater trust online, um, pretense of customer control and increase of power of government and then failing to meaningfully incorporate the role of privacy enhancing innovation and consumer education and data protection. So that just gives you a list of some of um, what some organizations have deemed to be issues with the GDPR and potential problems if they're not amended. Uh, so that gives you both sides of some of the benefits as well as potentially some of the downsides of the law.
Okay, it looks like I am out of time now. So I just want to thank everybody for attending this podcast. I hope that it was very informative. I want to give a special thank you to West Legal Ed Center and Secor Law for allowing me to do this podcast. And I am happy to answer any questions that anyone may have. You can contact me after the program for any follow-up questions at A Finley, F-I-N-L-E-Y, at Secor Law, S-E-Q-U-O-R-L-A-W.com. Or you can call me at 305-372-8282, extension 232. Have a great day and be well.